0: All right, it's take three, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. In the headlines today, Washington, D.C.'s top Republican finally recognizes Joe Biden's victory, a new ban on indoor dining takes effect in New York City, and the city's plan to rezone Governor's Island hits a snag. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. We hosted the Monday edition of the WBAI Evening News for the past couple of years, and last month we moved to this new one-hour time slot uh, mostly without any uh, flaws. Uh, sorry about the difficulties, uh, the technical difficulties uh, a few minutes ago, but we're delighted to be uh, back with you this evening. So first of all, in the news, 38 days after Joe Biden clinched the electoral votes needed to win the presidency, and one day after those votes were formally cast by the Electoral College, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell acknowledged Biden's victory for the first time earlier today.
1: So today I want to congratulate President-Elect Joe Biden. The President-Elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. I also want to congratulate the Vice President-Elect, our colleague from California, Senator Harris. Beyond our differences, all Americans can take pride that our nation has a female Vice President-Elect for the very first time.
0: Biden's formal triumph occurred as the confirmed nationwide COVID-19 death toll climbed over 300,000, more than any other country in the world. Even as the first people received the COVID-19 vaccine, infection rates continue to climb across the country, including here in New York. On Monday, Governor Andrew Cuomo closed indoor dining once again.
1: There's more density, there's more crowding. The RT rate, the transmission rate, the virus spreads much faster in New York City of all sorts of people who are concerned, well, you went down to 25% indoor dining, you canceled indoor dining, you're requesting more testing for people in salons, lower capacity in gyms. That is not what you should worry about. What you should worry about is shutdown because if we do not change the trajectory, we could very well be headed to shutdown. That is really something to worry about because all non-essential businesses
2: close.
0: Later in the show, we'll hear from a restaurant worker in Brooklyn about what the governor's decision means for him and his co-workers. Across the city, in, in, uh, across the river in New Jersey, protests continue outside the Bergen County Jail, which doubles as an immigrant detention facility. The de- tained inside the jail recently held a 31 day hunger strike and their supporters on the outside vowed to continue supporting them. This is Brian Garita from Mexicanos Unidos.
2: We're still out on the street. we're still campaigning um, to free them all, um, mainly because well we feel like there isn't there hasn't been much media coverage about the strike about the hunger strike that was ongoing in Bergen County Jail. Um, there was no social media campaign. Um, we're, we're just trying to make the world care about immigrants. And oftentimes, you know, we'll get asked, like, seeing as we're from NYC, why we're going to New Jersey to protest uh, a county jail over there. And people forget, you know, that our immigrants from New York City, when they're detained and kidnapped by ICE, they get taken to Bergen County Jail or they get taken to Hudson County Jail in New Jersey.
0: And finally, the city's plan to rezone Governor's Island hit a snag last night when the Land Use Committee of Community Board 1 in Lower Manhattan voted to not support the city's plan unless it was modified to meet their concerns. Roger Manning of the Metro Area Governor's Island Coalition says the plan can't be fixed.
2: We're still out on the street. We're still campaigning um, to free them all, um, mainly because, well, we feel like there isn't there hasn't been much media coverage about the strike about the hunger strike that was ongoing in bergen county jail um there was no social media campaign um we're all, we're just trying to make the world care about immigrants and oftentimes you know we'll get asked like seeing as we're from nyc why we're going to new jersey to protest uh, a county jail over there and people forget you know that our...
0: okay that was not uh roger manning uh, that was uh that was uh Brian Garita from Mexicanos Unidos. Uh, but we, uh, we do hope to hear from Roger later in the show. Um, we plan to bring him on if we, if we still have time. Obviously, we had a, a couple of delays earlier. Anyway, we will be back with our first guest after this short break.
3: 56. Wish she hadn't done me that way. Sleeping under a table in a roadside park. A man could wake up dead. But it sure seems warmer than it did. Sleeping in our king-sized bed.
0: That was Is Anybody Going to San Antonio by Charlie Pride, country music's first black superstar who died on Saturday from complications related to COVID-19. He was 86. Pride performed at the Country Music Association Awards last month in Nashville where many in the crowd were not wearing masks. Turning to our first segment for immigrants detained in the New York City area by ICE, the first stop Before deportation, is often the Bergen or Hudson County jails across the river in New Jersey. The conditions in these facilities are so bad that ICE detainees at the Bergen County Jail recently went on a 31-day hunger strike to demand changes. Protesters who have rallied to their support have faced a wave of violence recently. Six of them were injured last week when a car plowed into them while they were marching on Manhattan's east side. On Saturday, police attacked the protesters outside the jail and arrested nine of them. Here's a clip from that police riot. Oh,
3: my God. Oh, my God. Jesus.
0: Joining us this evening to talk about the protests outside the Bergen County Jail and the conditions inside the jail is Brian Garita from Mexicanos Unidos. Brian, thank you for your patience and welcome to the Independent News Hour.
2: Thank you, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to be narrate my my story and the story of the people.
0: Sure thing. So, uh, let's go straight to the point. Why why are y'all out there a day after day outside the Bergen County Jail? Well, we've been out the in- there. Recently. What are the conditions inside?
2: Yeah, well, we've been out there recently because of the hunger strikers and the fight that they've led. Um, and they're, they're hunger striking because uh, they were denied. And during the course of this hunger strike, they were denied medication. Um, one of the one of the hunger strikers was stripped and beaten by correctional officers. Um, some of them were threatened with Guantanamo tactics and a few of them were transferred to other facilities. So it was important that we get out there and try to raise awareness and make noise and show solidarity with the hunger strikers.
0: Mm. And can you describe uh, some of the conditions that exist inside the jail that, that prompted that protest? or that hunger strike?
2: Yeah, well, they don't have any heat right now, especially in, in, which is even worse right now in the winter. Um, Some of them were forced to drink toilet water because of lack of access to clean water. Um, Some of them were denied medication. Um, And then overall, overall, during this COVID pandemic, many of them haven't had access to adequate um, space, adequate um, health measures um, that really, really address the covid pandemic um a few of them actually were tested for covid and they weren't given their results back and actually a couple of them that were tested for covid were actually transferred away so we don't even know if they have covid or not
0: mm. and uh, last last week y'all uh, held a march in manhattan started at bryant park i believe and y'all were over around 3rd avenue and 39th street when a car plowed into into your protest and six people were injured and taken to the hospital and a woman, the driver, was arrested afterwards. Can can you talk about that incident and the effect it's had on you all?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wasn't there on the ground. That was uh, organized by the People's March, which are great organizers, and they they really did um, a, us a favor and they did hunger strikers a favor by really, um, by doing that on Friday and, and by, you know, the violence that they were met with it really amplified the need of the ICE detainees. so but in regards to the, to the effect that it had on the organizers and the protesters themselves, I feel like it really invigorated us. I feel like it really gave us you know more of a reason to show up because a few of our comrades from the People's March were hurt. So it was important for us to to still show up the next day and still be powerful and still raise our voices.
0: And that very next day, I believe on it was on Saturday, uh, we had the incident that we heard a, a little clip from earlier where all of a sudden the, the police uh, charged the protesters and can you i guess describe what happened and uh, what the what the aftermath of that has been
2: For sure yeah when we got there you know again that was a peaceful protest um and then one of our one of the people that was in the protest across the street to take a picture of what was going on to document from a different uh, perspective and then the police the cops the officers from Bergen County they asked her to get off the sidewalk which again is a public sidewalk So she had every right to be there documenting. And when a few of our our people went went over to voice their, you know, their displeasure with the fact that the cops, you know, were trying to suppress documentation of of what was going on, um, they ended up arresting one of our friends, Jorge, um, and that happened very early. And after that happened, honestly, it provoked a lot of resentment, a lot of anger towards the cops because we were only there peacefully protesting. So for them to come out with riot gear, it really just showed us what they felt about our our peaceful protests about our First Amendment right, um, and after that chaos ensued. Um, but it was it wasn't due to the protesters; it was due to the police who really aggravated the situation by pepper spraying us, by macing us, by throwing smoke grenades, um, and really, really overall being violent and brutalizing protesters. As a matter of fact, one of our comrades that was taken inside was actually um, tied from her legs and her and her and her hands. So and and she was left like that in her cell. So it really just shows like what what goes on. Um, And then on Sunday, when our comrade Liz was violently taken out, taken out of her car um, and arrested and and given trumped up charges.
0: Yeah, it seems like you'll have uh, definitely uh, poked a hornet's nest over there at at the jail. Uh, We're going to have to go here in a minute. But uh, can you let our listeners know uh, what they can do to help her? as well as what you all plan to do next
2: yeah for sure in regard to liz our, our comrade liz it'd be very helpful if everybody called the bergen county prosecutor at 201-646-2300 and the extension is 7750 and also 5660 and it's important to call and ask to, for them to drop the charges one of them being rioting and the other being um terroristic threats Um, Which are just trumped up charges to intimidate protesters, and then in the future we will continue to fight against Bergen County Jail until they cut the ICE contract. Right now they get paid 120 per ICE detainee, and it's important that we put people over profit. And it's important that we continue to fight against Bergen County and all fascist and xenophobic policies.
0: And that's 120 dollars per night per detainee, correct?
2: Yes, correct. So
0: so it's right. So for them it's a big revenue stream. And they're and they're really overlooking the human cost. Definitely, well, Brian Garita. We thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening on the Independent News Hour and, and, and letting us know about this uh, campaign that that you all are leading.
2: Thank you, John. Appreciate the time and and thank you guys for giving us space.
0: You bet. Alrighty. In our next segment, we hear from a restaurant worker about the latest restrictions on indoor dining and how that's affecting him and his coworkers.
3: que dejaron soy toda la sobra de lo que se robaron un pueblo escondido en la cima mi piel es de cuero por eso aguanta cualquier clima soy una fábrica de humo mano de obra campesina para tu consumo frente de frío en el medio del verano el amor en los tiempos del cólera mi hermano soy que nace y el día que muere con los mejores atardeceres, soy el desastre That
0: was latina americana by calle 13. you're listening to the independent news hour i'm your host john tarleton editor-in-chief of the independent new york city's progressive newspaper and website with covid 19 infections rates climbing steadily in new york city a ban on indoor dining went back into place on monday governor andrew cuomo insists it's necessary to stop the spread of the lethal virus for the owners and employees of thousands of affected bars and restaurants It means more economic hardship in what has already been a difficult year. Joining us this evening to give a restaurant worker's perspective on what's happening to their industry is Thompson Newkirk, bartender at Costello Plan, a restaurant out on Cortelli Road in Brooklyn that specializes in new American cuisine. Thompson, welcome to the show. Thompson, are you there? Hello. Hi. Hi, wel- welcome to the Independent News Hour. This is uh, John yeah. Tarleton. Thanks for joining us.
4: Hey, yeah, thank you so much for having me on, John.
0: Sure thing. And sorry about the delays from earlier, but we, fortunately, we still have a little bit of time to talk. So, um, yeah, no for, yeah, uh, first of all, uh, can you talk about what, what this, uh, this latest shutdown means for you and, and your coworkers at uh, Costello plan and how many people work there and will be affected by this?
4: Sure. So uh, as far as how many people work there, we've got a rather small crew, which for our restaurant is kind of a saving grace. But uh, shutting down, just to just to kind of put it in perspective, um, shutting down indoor dining right now, especially during uh, you know, the, the onset of winter, uh, it, it's essentially like taking away um, just dining business altogether. Even though you can have it outside, we've got, of course, we have – Heaters, and we've got a great little outdoor patio and area for people to sit and relax. uh, That's only good up to a certain point. So right now, taking away uh, indoor dining uh, is—it's—it's more than just indoor. It's—it's at the same time, it's almost taking away outdoor as well. Um, You know, one thing that I will say is that I think most people or most restaurants—I don't—I don't—I don't use the word thriving, but. You know, we're we're paying the bills, we're keeping the lights on, and we're doing so because of the current uh I don't want to say leniency or but because of the current uh concessions that have been made for us, you know, being able to have either fifty percent or a certain amount of people inside, that's been able to help us and restaurants like us keep the lights on, you know. So that's uh it's it, it's a it's a big slice of the pie to say it like that.
0: Mm. And what sort of precautions do y'all take to try to make it a, a safe experience and not have your restaurant be a, a source of spread for the for the virus? Sure.
4: sure. John, you know that that actually that's it's a great question because it, it leads me right into another point. But uh, first of all, the precautions we take are extensive. And if I can say we, we, we take them religiously. Uh, every person. As the temperature taken when they come in we all sign in and we have a uh, a system where everything is wiped down and sterilized every hour and then initialed by the person who does that uh we've been checked by i like to call them the COVID police um, i'm not sure what their exact name is but i've been there a few times when they've come in uh, we you know we've always passed with flying colors uh, now i i don't outside of going to work i don't really go to too many Restaurants in the neighborhood or in the city that being, uh like I'm, I'm not going out that much, but I do believe that the spread uh, is not coming from individual restaurants like us and most of the restaurants that are following the criteria. Um, I think that what you'd find is because we've been checked quite regularly by the covid police, uh, you would have some restaurants that haven't passed code or haven't passed the criteria and so those restaurants are, in fact, on file, and I think that in you've got to have some sort of incentive for the people who are following the rules to continue to do so because if you in, – instead of just a blanket um, – like blanket restrictions, uh, you, you kind of give like uh, – instead of just putting blanket restrictions on somebody that is following the rules, uh, you, you, know, you can start – let's say there's – got a restaurant that maybe is a a repeat offender, so to say, Um, you you can start by limiting those restaurants. And which brings me to another point. Um, They say that about 74% of the cases in New York City are coming from people that are having gatherings inside their own homes. And a point that I want to make is when you follow the rules like we've done at Castello Plan... You know, you could make the argument that it actually will help to drive the infection rate down because instead of people going to socialize in an unsafe way in their own homes where they think they're safe but they're not, they're then, you know, prompted to come out, come out to a restaurant that not only is uh, taking the physical uh, precautions, but it's also taking the precautions of each and every person that's going to be there. So they – the party size the distance of the party and the barriers in between the tables because we have a um, barriers that, that subdivide each table at the restaurant uh and that sort of environment is much safer at a time like this than having people pack themselves into their own homes
0: right now in, you know i i used to uh, pre-pandemic like to go out sometimes for a meal on a Saturday evening. Uh, sure. I haven't done that once since the pandemic started. And I, I know wow. uh, it's how uh, you pay the rent and everybody else who works there, um, sur- you know, survives. But uh, do you ever find yourself wondering at night if if it's really worth it to, to be doing this? It, it still seems uh, dangerous, no, no matter how many precautions you take.
4: Well, you, you, you are absolutely right. Um, uh, here's the thing. I mean... Is it worth it to do it? Um, we all need money to live and to, and to survive. Um, so for, for me uh, personally, yes, it's worth it. Now, do you mean as far as like going out to eat, is it worth it? Is, is that what you mean?
0: I, I guess I meant it both ways. Okay. For...
4: Yeah, well, you know, as far as going out to eat and just a little bit about me, even though, I mean, we, we know the um, – the, the unpredictable nature of this virus, and especially during a time like this, um, I actually have tested positive for the antibody. So that is for me, it eases my mind as far as my own health, but it doesn't it doesn't take away any precautions that I take on an everyday basis. Does that make sense? Yes. So, and as far as as far as dining out. You know, John, you say you, you haven't been out uh, since the since pre-pandemic. And I I think that when you do end up after you take the vaccine or, or at what point you feel comfortable to go out, if you come to a place like Castello Plan, uh, I, I think that you'll see that um, most places are abiding, not just for social reasons, but also for health reasons. Um, I think that. You, one thing that I noticed when we started to do uh, dining again, like indoor dining and even outdoor dining, like in the summer, was people came out with a certain virility or uh, a certain sense of purpose. They they hadn't been out in a long time and they they wanted so bad to be, you know, at least just in eyesight or an earshot of one another to sit down, relax, and hang out and have a sure. drink or a meal. So. you know again you're right is that a totally necessary thing i i don't know i guess you'd have to i I don't know i'm I'm maybe i don't know but i can tell you that uh since the since the beginning uh our our precautions and our criteria uh, that's been first and
0: foremost right that's great to hear we'll have to leave it there but Thompson Newkirk, thank you for joining us on the Independent News Hour this evening, and giving and, and giving our listeners the perspective of somebody who's working inside a, inside a restaurant and 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 trying to make all of this work in, in very difficult uh, circumstances.
4: Thank you so much, John.
0: You bet. Take care. All righty. When we come back after the break. We'll look at another dilemma posed by COVID-19 pandemic, which is whether families should send their children to school for in-class instruction or take classes remotely from home. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has launched an innovative plan to help struggling students. One of her aides who is helping implement this plan will be joining us.
1: Federal government must provide relief to these bars and restaurants in this-
3: Hip tap toe, happy Hanukkah around you go. My little Lotke on your toes, happy Hanukkah and around and around you go. Clap your hands, happy Hanukkah, clap, clap hands. My little Strudler on your toes, happy Hanukkah and around and around you go.
0: That was Hanukkah Dance by Woody Guthrie. You're listening to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent New York City's Progressive Newspaper and Website. Before we continue with our th- third segment, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBI, help keep shows like this and others on the air. You can give by calling 516-620-3602. Again, that's 516-620-3602. Or you can go straight to give2wbi.org. number two, WBI.org. And once you get there, you can sign up as a WBAI buddy for $10 per month or more and help keep WBAI beaming across the New York City area. I'll share that information again at the end of the show. So turning to our next segment, New York City public schools partially reopened last week for students in grades K to 5 after being shut down just before the Thanksgiving break. Nonetheless, most of New York City's 1 million public school students are attending class from home. For many, remote learning is a difficult and frustrating experience that leaves them struggling to keep up with their classwork. In an attempt to address this situation, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has appealed to her legions of supporters to help tutor struggling schoolchildren in her district. More than 13,000 volunteers from around the country have responded to this call for help. Now, joining us on the Independent News Hour to talk about this project is Jonathan Soto, an aide to Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. Jonathan, welcome to the show.
5: Greetings, John, and it's great to be with you and your audience today, and uh, great to happy to be on WBAI.
0: Fantastic. We're delighted to have you with us. So, so first of all, can you describe how this program works, and and how people who want to help are are getting plugged in?
5: Sure. So um, I'm in the Congresswoman's district in the Bronx, and we have been reaching out to families during the pandemic, and not only families, but community members um, distributing aid and partnering very closely with public schools. Uh, One saw that the pandemic really was putting lots of stress on many families, parents, and guardians. I myself am a public school parent, and when we went Remote and blended um, during the year and as COVID progressed, many parents were expressing deep struggles with the remote online learning, with the difficulty of being able to access um, the, the, the courses, um, lots of issues with tech, and so many uh, young students and even older students were, were falling behind. So we decided to pull out a call for volunteers um, initially in July Uh, 500 of them responded, and we started a a pilot project with opening up a Zoom room, just having folks come and join us, breaking everybody out into their respective Zoom rooms, doing one-on-one homework help for families. Um, Throughout the last seven weeks, uh, we've been able to serve uh, approximately 120 families, uh, providing this one-to-one homework help. And when public schools went entirely remote Um, They recently went to blended learning, but when they went entirely remote, uh, the congresswoman put out another call uh, for uh, tutors, and 13,000 folks responded. And what we're doing now is collaborating with uh, people throughout the country, really, that many of them have created a form of homework help in their respective geographies. Uh, Lots of people have tried this model, and what we're really doing is trying to crowdsource um, best practices And really engage with supporting our goal is a thousand students uh, by the end of June Um, but since we have so many volunteers we're also working with other people throughout the country uh, to help support creating homework helpers in their own neighborhood if they're interested the way it works is currently we have a a zoom room that opens on uh, Tuesday Wednesdays uh, from 6 to 8 and Saturdays from 12 to 2 parents hop on we have tutors and we have students um, actually at 6 o'clock today. We have a session uh, taking place. And the one-on-one is invaluable uh, for many families and students. We live in one of the most diverse districts. Many of our families are monolingual speaking, uh, in different languages that are not English. We have tutors, um, have done tutoring sessions in Spanish, Cantonese, Urdu, Bangla, uh, Dari, Crew. Uh, uh, being that language accessibility is incredibly important for many of the families in our public school system. We do emphasize that this is a mutual aid project. Um, we are not an educational program. Uh, we are not supplanting teachers. Uh, we are supplementing um, this support and really helping parents and, and people that have been struggling so far um, during this pandemic.
0: And, and how does the vetting of uh... Of these tutors, uh, how does that go to ensure that, uh, you know, n- no one who might have uh, ill intentions uh, becomes a part of this uh, pool of people?
5: Sure. So we have a, a three-stage vetting process. Uh, we have a initial info session uh, where people understand what the program looks like. We ask them to fill out an application. Then we have an in-depth training They fill out another application, and when we match someone uh, with a student, uh, we do a background check. Uh, So that three-step process um, allows us to filter through uh, people that may just sign up to be curious and and not follow through or get to that final stage and decide to hop off. Um, We do believe in restorative justice, not necessarily punitive justice, so not everything is uh, disqualifying, but uh, we want to maximize the safety Um, of our students. Uh, We have all these sessions in one Zoom room and we always have a staff member present and ask for parents to be present there as well uh, to minimize the risk uh, that may emerge. We also partner closely with uh, PTAs. So our referrals come from PTAs. We have weekly check-ins with our uh, PTA partners, uh, make sure that parents and guardians are satisfied with the service uh, which up until this point everyone has decided to continue we offer uh, four weeks um, of homework help one hour per week and then reserve an option for parents to continue and all of them have so it, we, we are seeing that this one-on-one personalized resource is extremely valuable we've seen so many enrichment programs cut um, as you know uh, our, our the Department of Education and, and lots of uh, extracurricular mentorship programs have been eliminated during because of the crisis um, and the budget issues with the city. Uh, so having this program has been an invaluable resource uh, for many families uh, in our district.
0: and In those four one hour sessions, I- in a single hour, uh, a homework helper can that's enough time to to make a difference.
5: Well, we are very clear and very narrow about mm-hmm. what we're really trying to do. Um, you know, we really can't educate or uh, provide uh, curriculum development, even though we are planning on doing and expanding the program for 2021. But what we're seeing, and I see this as a parent myself, um, you know, I have gone through lots of schooling up until the graduate school level, and I have no idea what this common core map is. Uh, so me myself um, and and my wife as, as as we work all day and then we sit down and try to help our daughter with the homework. It's been extremely hard, you know. And I could imagine uh, parents um, from diverse family setups. Uh, they may not even speak English. Are having lots of trouble logging into Google Classroom, for example, submitting the homework through the tech. So what tutors and homework helpers really do is help the parent navigate that system. And many of them and all of them actually in our initial cohort have decided to do it more because it's an incredible help. Now, uh, we understand that this is not enough. Um, Mutual aid is not enough. Uh, Volunteerism is not enough. So what we need is, you know, the cities and the states to make massive investments and provide tutoring for all or homework helpers for all. Um, You know, the cities and states should be employing Lots of people that are able to help students and, and, and kids, um, and, and really think about how they could uh, reach families that are being left behind. Now, this is a, there are self-selecting biases uh, here. We know that many families don't have laptops, many families don't have access to internet, which is why we are not claiming or don't want to frame this as an educational program. Um, we are mutual aid, and we're doing what we can but uh, localities, municipalities, and and cities and states really need to step in because so many parents are are getting left behind and families, um, and it's really devastating to see the emotional, psychological, the alienating effects so many students have not being able to interact with their peers. One of the things that we're doing is uh, creating social spaces um, with video games, collaborative video games where uh, students can interact and engage in educational programs. And the community is, is developing and, and really uh, connected. Uh, but, again, this is uh, not a solution. Uh, this is mutual aid, and, and we really need massive investments um, in public education. We need uh, the cities and states to really fund um, and bring back the enrichment programs uh, that have been cut. And then these programs try to come and address this uh, a gap that exists, but it's definitely not enough. And, and we don't want to pretend... Sure. Uh, that we're uh, all encompassing. Uh, but it is something that has been very useful for families and, and students.
0: Right, and we we know that uh, AOC will be fighting hard for that, that big ticket funding that it is necessary. And I think uh, people maybe sometimes forget that, I mean, before she was a bartender, she also had a, a background uh, working at an educational nonprofit. And um, so last of all, before we have to go here, uh, can you let our listeners know how uh, they can either sign up to receive help or uh, sign up to become a homework helper?
5: Sure. Um, we are now moving our past our pilot stage, and we are going to have all our website and resources available. But if you're interested, um, families uh, and students can sign up or uh, register to uh, become a tutor at um, this link of bit.ly backslash uh, HH, let me rephrase that, bit.ly backslash AOC tutor sign up, all lowercase, bit.ly backslash AOC tutor sign up. Um, and if families are interested, we do partner with PTAs, but you can email us um, at jonathan at ocasiocortez.com. Jonathan spelled J-O-N. A T H A N at, ocasio
0: Okay, Jonathan Soto, uh, staff uh, Stafford for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Thank you so much for joining us on the Independent News Hour tonight and letting us know how that uh, homework helper program is is developing.
5: And thank you, John, for the opportunity. And everyone, uh, enjoy the holiday. Take
0: care. Okay. Alrighty, in our. Uh, Next and final segment, we'll look at the battle for the future of Governor's Island just off the tip of lower Manhattan. They
3: paid paradise, put up a parking lot. That you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It's a really paradise.
0: Put up a parking lot. That was Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. You're listening to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Turning to our final segment. Open spaces that allow New Yorkers to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city and commune with the natural world are rare. One of them is Governor's Island, just off the tip of lower Manhattan in the New York Harbor. The former U.S. naval base that guarded the harbor, Governor's Island, was ceded to the city by the federal government in the 1990s. In recent years, it has become a popular destination for many New Yorkers looking to escape the city for a day with a single short ferry ride. Now, the de Blasio administration is looking to rezone Governor's Island. They say they want to set up a climate research center, but critics claim the rezoning plan would open the door to all sorts of other development. We just have a few minutes left in the show, but joining us now is Roger Manning from the Metro Area Governor's Island Coalition. Roger, welcome to the Independent News Hour on 99.5 FM.
1: Thanks, John. And uh thanks to the independent and WBAI for covering this issue um, sure thing uh, I, I I guess you got that song from our Facebook uh, uh, page because we posted it there uh, the Johnny Mitchell song it was, it's it's so appropriate
0: yeah that that might be uh, my, my colleague uh, Amr Gagarian that uh, helps uh, find uh-huh. all the the musical selections uh, so real quick since we unfortunately just have a short amount of time can you real quick paint a picture of Governor's Island for listeners who may not have been out there yet and and why you all feel so strongly about preserving it as it currently is
1: yeah governor's island is like an irreplaceable unique free green open space that's full of like one of one of a kind vistas and historical elements um and it belongs to all new yorkers and it's like a refuge for people and wildlife actually and uh you know particularly during the pandemic and we formed this new group, the uh, Metro Area Governors Island Coalition, MAGIC, um, <laughs> made of people like me who have been going there for years and years and really know the place and know the value of it and, wanna, and want to keep this sort of open space feel and uh, nature of you know, of, of Governors Island for everyone in, in the city and people from out of town come, come there quite a bit.
0: And the city says it just wants to build a climate research center. I assume you all see that as uh, greenwashing. And what are your concerns about what else uh, might get built out there?
1: Well, you know, the bigger picture is that this is a, a part of a citywide upzoning by the Blasio, uh, the Blasio administration. I mean, Flushing, Soho, Gowanus, um, all kinds, all different areas of the city are fighting these rezonings that are, being pushed forward during like COVID and the holidays and elections. This is It's just, you know, this is like kind of part of that, it seems. Um, and, and the motive is to bring in money for the city and, you know, for people who make money off, I suppose make money off of doing all the processing of permits and legal work and stuff like that as well. But um, in fact, there's um, there's an event tomorrow at city hall at noon, um, the New Yorkers unite to demand City Hall stop all racist rezonings. Noon outside of City Hall tomorrow, uh, as an example. Um, and this climate center it's, looks great. I mean, it sounds like a great idea, but it's actually mostly a marketing angle to make uh, the, the people who make the who have to review the rezoning to feel good about rezoning the island. But there's nothing that legally Requires that a climate center be built there and basically what they're doing with the rezoning is trying to Allow for like 30-story buildings and stuff in this this Beautiful wide open green space area uh, that just will box in the existing park areas I mean, there's a lot to it people can we post your website uh, URL on your on your page uh, for the for the radio show? Maybe because it's kind of long people could go follow up on it
0: Okay uh, um, Certainly
1: but, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, it, they need the, the higher building heights to bring in these um, more wealthy potential tenants. It's, it's really complicated. But in, in essence, it opens the door. It's, it's a Trojan horse. It opens the door to who knows what years down the road. And the, the main justification is they say they need to finance Governor's Island. It needs to be self-sustained. Uh, but this doesn't do that. This won't do right. I mean, break even, it won't break we're,
0: even. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, we we're uh, run out of time, but this is a story we will continue to follow, uh, the fight over the future of Governor's Island. And Roger Manning from Metro Area Governor's Island Coalition, Magic, thank you so much for joining us this evening.
1: Thanks for having us. Look us up on all social media, folks.
0: Okay, we will do. All right, that wraps up the show for tonight. Many thanks to Ama Olivia Reggio, Subrisk, and Kenneth Lopez for their help. And once again, you can give to WBAI by calling 516-620-3602 or going straight to give2wbai.org. We'll be back same time next week. We
3: paradise, put up a parking lot. A pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone It's me really
4: paradise, put up a pot